Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianmedia.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. On this third of the preparatory Sundays before the Great Lent, the Great Fast, the Bright Sadness begins in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. As I mentioned, this is the third Sunday. We started out with the Sunday of Zacchaeus, then the Sunday of the Public and the Pharisee, and now today's theme, of course, it goes according to the Gospel. Today's theme is the theme of the prodigal son. And it's rather providential because what we're going to look at today is the nature of the priesthood. Oftentimes, I'm asked as a Byzantine priest, Father, are your priests different than Roman Catholic priests? Do they have the same kind of challenges, same kind of difficulties? I'm even asked if we've had some of the same kind of unfortunate circumstances that others have had. And also, uh, just in general, what the challenges are of Eastern Rite priests, how similar or how different they are from the Latin Rite priests. So we're going to answer some of those questions with a little help of a guest we have today. I'm going to welcome to Light of the East. His name is Joe Maher, and he's with an organization called Opus Bono Sacerdote, which means, of course, that's Latin, and it means work for the good of the priesthood. Joe, welcome to Light of the East. Thank you, Father. Thank you for having me. What a great—I didn't realize the theme was of the prodigal son. It fits perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it does. And uh, why don't you tell us why, why it fits very well with uh, the kind of work that you do? Well, you know, um, we were founded in 2002 after myself and Pete Farr, who's a co-founder here, and another businessman helped my uh, pastor at Assumption Grotto, Father Edward Perone, with a priest that was staying there in residence from Africa who was accused of sexual abuse, and it uh, became a very big deal. There was a big criminal trial. It made news all over the world because he was an international priest. Um, Thanks be to God, though, um, after a long ordeal, the jury found him innocent and acquitted him. But during that time, uh, because of all the media, this was back, as most of your listeners probably remember, 2002 is when the uh, priest, uh, you know, crises, so-called priest crises, at least that's what they deemed it then, had occurred. So we got calls virtually every day from priests or friends of priests that had been uh, accused and were asking for assistance. And so we just never turned a priest away, and and uh, we gave up our full-time jobs and uh, started Opus Bono Sacerdosi, and it's evolved ever since for the last 12 years. And We've helped um, probably over 8,000 priests in the last 12 years. Wow. What, what kind of 
work do you actually do? How, how do you help these priests? Well, certainly if there's a, any kind of uh, civil or criminal litigation, um, we help with their defense and finding attorneys and investigative services and these kind of things, also canonically within the church law. But um, we also, because there's been over 5,000 priests that have been removed from ministry and not returned, we do a lot of work with caring for priests that you know may not have places to live. Um, their salaries have now been cut off. They may have been laicized formally by the church, so it's very difficult for them to get a job once they've been accused and removed from ministry. So we help them with supplemental income, finding ways for them to generate some income, and then also continuing their spiritual life, you know. And do they come to a place, like do you have like a center, or is it just something you do, uh, you know, like out of an office? And Well, uh, because the majority of these priests are diocesan priests, mm-hmm. most religious order priests, although some have been removed from the religious order, we've had to help them find places to live. But most of these priests are diocesan priests, so for them to come to one facility is not really the best thing for them emotionally or even, you know, uh, for any kind of support they may have, because it's really important that they stay in their local area where they have friends and family and that kind of thing. So we help them find places where they're at, wherever mm-hmm. that may be in the United States. And we have some priests internationally as well, because these kind of issues have been occurred in Australia and England and Poland and all, you know, a lot of the different, the, the, mostly the Western countries. Oh, do you help priests from other countries? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yep, we do. Any place that a civil lawsuit can occur against the Church and its priests, that's where you'll find us helping priests. And and now, just to be clear to listeners, because this is can be such a hot and explosive and easily misunderstood kind of uh, issue, is that what you do is you help them. You're, you're not hiding or, or somehow enabling any kind of perpetrators, but you're you're helping priests, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you don't, obviously, I'm a husband and a father, so, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we're not going to help enable them to, you know, to continue bad behavior if that's what's gotten them into trouble. But, um, oh, yeah, we've helped them with treatment. We've helped them with psychological support. We've helped them, you know, we've helped priests with incompetent defense so that uh, a just resolution can be achieved. And sometimes that just resolution is uh, requires incarceration, and sometimes it's for a very long period of time. We've got a couple priests that will be in prison for the rest of their lives and will die there. And our support doesn't stop there. You know, when they go to jail, we go to jail with them. We support them there, and because we believe, you know, that uh, every soul of a priest is valuable, just like every soul of human life is valuable all the way, you know, to the grave. You're you're always fighting for people to get to heaven, and that's really the goal of the Christian life, right? I mean, to help each other get to heaven. So that's really what the mission is about, and we focus on, our particular uh, focus is on Catholic priests. That's beautiful, Joe, and and that's a very, very important point, and one that gets lost. You know, we tend to treat as a society, in particular the clergy, we tend to treat them almost like, uh, it's almost like the modern-day leper colonies, you know, when, when, or, or even, even beyond the priesthood oftentimes, people that do certain offenses, uh, it's almost like they're, we, we've lost our sense of the possibility of redemption, and that we are all about redemption and about getting people eventually to heaven, no matter what it is they've done. And so that it's a matter of walking with them, as it sounds like your organization does, walking with someone, never casting them aside. I mean, they, they have to do their 
whatever it is that they're required to do in terms of justice. As you said, some of them may even go to prison the rest of their life. But at the same time, you don't cast them aside like, like an outcast, like a, like a leper. They're a human being too with the potential of redemption. They have a soul. And a lot of their time that they serve in prison or in therapy or whatever is, is actually part of their purgation. It is part of their growth and then their process of working out their salvation. And to have an attitude organization that walks with them through that, I think is 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 very, very significant today and, and actually far too rare. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, Father. That's exactly right. Even even when they uh, we have priests, we just had a priest who was released from prison in December, and all the way up until the point where he was released and he was now free, we're still caring for him and supporting him and making sure that, you know, it's very important that uh, these guys get a lot of support and um, they're in places where they're not only going to protect themselves from others, but from themselves, and that they have a place where they can grow in their desire for holiness, and that's very, very important to us. You know, we, we have a, we, we've kind of become a throwaway society. I can say yes. this because I had an entertainment company in Hollywood, and I was the CEO of a marketing firm, and, you know, you we develop a lot of products that uh, are meant only to last a certain amount of time. Every, every one of your viewing audience probably owns a cell phone which they will upgrade in the next two or three years, and that phone will be um, recycled, you know, into some metal container or, or into the trash. Mm-hmm. And so we have this mentality that, you know, unfortunately I think we have a mentality now that uh, we throw away, and we, we throw away lives. We see it with abortion, we see it with mm-hmm. euthanasia, and, and now we see it with people that have committed sins. And... Of course, I understand completely the emotions behind people when they hear that a, a priest in particular may have hurt somebody who's young, a child, for instance. You know, it turns your stomach. It turns our stomach, right? I mean, that's the way it is. But it's not that you don't preference them over the person who may have been hurt. There's a lot of support for people that have been hurt, and we've helped support people that have been hurt, obviously, because we get those phone calls, too. But the best way to help somebody that's been hurt and to stop re-victimization is to help the perpetrator heal and to find a place where he can be safe from others, like I said, and from himself. And a lot of people have the attitude that, especially when it comes to priests, that they can't heal. They can't be healed. They're just supposed to be punished or thrown aside, and that's it. But you see it differently. For one thing, it's a heresy to say that somebody can't be healed. We have the divine physician who can heal anybody at mm-hmm. any time. And we have to believe, we have to be a people of hope that, you know, uh, you talk about divine mercy and Lent and the prodigal son, and I've always remembered the passage in the in the diary of St. Faustina Kowalska that says Christ had appeared to her and said, the greater the sinner, the greater the right to my mercy. That is an overwhelming statement by Christ to, to St. Faustina. You know, and it, and it brings you back to the Gospel passage where Christ says, you know, Peter, when you turn, go and strengthen your brothers. Yes. Now, I mean, it doesn't take much of a read to figure out that, well, there's something wrong with Peter. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that Christ has decided long before that he's going to give him the grace of conversion. And when he does convert... Christ says, go and strengthen your brother priests. Go and strengthen them. And that's the call that we have at Opus Bono to help 
help you, Father, your brother priests, and whatever difficulties they may be experiencing. We deal with vocation crises. We deal with substance abuse. We deal with relationship issues, um, issues between priest and bishop or bishop and priest, hmm. priest and associate, those kind of things. We, we get all those phone calls now, and everything's done on a confidential, loving basis, and all for the greater good of the Church. This is great. Sounds beautiful. Very reassuring for me as a priest, Joe. We're going to talk more with our guest, Joe Maher, from Opus Bono Sacerdote, which, of course, means work for the good of the priesthood. When we return, I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host here on the Sunday of the Prodigal Son. A very providential theme today because our special guest is Joe Maher from Opus Bono Sacerdote, which means work for the good of the priesthood. And this is an organization that works especially with priests who have undergone accusations, or maybe they have been found guilty of certain transgressions, or they have other kind of difficulties, and this organization is there to help these priests, based on the fact that Christ came to redeem all of us. You know, he came and and he died, suffered and died and rose for all people, all sinners, not just some. Jesus Christ never threw anybody aside, and neither should we. And that's something that our culture forgets about. We're a throwaway culture, as Joe said earlier on our program. So, Joe, welcome back again to Light of the East. And I want to ask you about priests that uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, about priests that were wrongly accused. Have there have been a lot of cases of this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I said earlier in the show that uh, we've been contacted by over 8,000 priests since 2002. And I can tell you that um, there's well over 1,000 priests that are just blatantly false acu- falsely accused. I can say that because we're intimately involved in their casework, and they've not been returned to to ministry, but definitely there's over a thousand. And and what's alarming to us here at Opus Bono is um, we we know that, you know, priests are not perfect. 
that uh, there have been some priests that have done some, you know, terrible, terrible things. Um, I might add, though, that that number is very small. But nonetheless, that's not to excuse the fact that terrible things have been done. But the alarming thing over the last couple of years is the sheer number of false allegations that are being leveled against the priests and the church. And it doesn't stop. Uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, insurance companies and insuring the diocese and their attorneys. Uh, they, they, if a priest accused, um, it is much more expeditious and cost-saving because, in case you didn't know it, insurance companies are not in the business of paying claims. Mm-hmm. And um, so what happens is they will force the diocese, uh, because of contractual agreements, to settle the case, and that re- requires a monetary award to whoever the accuser is, whether it was proven or not. Hmm. And that, of course, puts the priest in a terrible situation where he can never be proven innocent. And 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 these allegations, some of them go back sometimes is 10, 15 years, and some have gone back to 35, 40 years, and some have been against priests who are dead. So if you've ever tried proving something, how difficult that is. Try disproving something. It's it's impossible. And the reason behind a lot of the false accusations is is what? What what are most of them? What's behind most of them? Well, I think that you're, you know, people who would make a false allegation are, for one thing, they're emotionally imbalanced, and unfortunately for them. And also, you know, there's usually there can there's usually substance abuse involved in their life. Uh, you know, multiple, uh, unfortunately, multiple failed marriages. They can't hold down the jobs. And, mm. and you know, when you accuse a priest, a priest is seen as the ultimate authority figure, you know, the ultimate mm. moral figure of society. And so when you can, uh, when, unfortunately, these people will make an accusation against the priest that we've seen time and time again, it exonerates them, at least for themselves, they feel, you know, from all their past sins, because it was the dirty work of the priest. No yes. cruelty intended, Father. Yes. And also, it gives them a lot of notoriety suddenly. They become heroes, you know, in a sense. And this kind of thing really feeds what's lacking and void in their life. Mm-hmm. The sad part about it is, and we have seen this, uh, and we continue to see it, is once all the hype is gone and once the money is paid out, which, by the way, the lawyers get the majority of it. And once this money is paid out to them over a few years, they're back in the same boat, but they're worse. You know, because mm. unfortunately, you know, as you know, one lie uh, snowballs into another, and it creates a horrible thing for a peer, person's interior life. Yes. You know, Joe, it's ironic that uh, just this very day, just prior to the show, a priest friend of mine called me from, uh, he lives several states away, but he's a good friend of mine. And he, we were talking, and he said, well, by the way, I, we just had two priests go to our bishop and uh, quit. They just said, I'm done. I'm not going to practice as a priest anymore. And they're out like several years, 10 years, 15 years or so. And, and you know, and I asked him, well, why? What happened? Did he have a trouble with his bishop or whatever? But it, it, it's, in other words, it, when, a, when a priest has a difficulty like that, just struggling with his vocation, your organization helps in that regard as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we do. In fact... You know, it's funny because we're a lay organization run by lay people. We have one priest involved with us, and that is our chaplain, who's our co-founder, Father Perone, who's a wonderful priest, wonderful Orthodox priest. He's a pastor of Assumption Ground in Detroit, and so he would be—he's soon to be retired, I guess, in about five years. So I can say 
that he's more of a senior priest, which helps with the younger priests, and we often call upon him to help. And um, But it, there's a great utility in the priest being able to call us confidentially. And uh, obviously we're not experts on a priesthood because we're not ordained ourselves, but we are. We have a lot of familiarity over thousands and thousands of cases in 12 years yes. of the things, the problems that priests confront. And it's good for them to call and say, hey, look, I'm really feeling burnt out. I, I just feel like I've given it my all, and, and nothing's working. I don't feel good. I don't feel successful. I, you know, and, and many things plague priests that, that us lay people do not understand, mm. and they want to just walk away. And after talking with us and going through it, Father, look, you're not alone, and here's, what's ha- and here's what we can do, and here's how we can help. We don't have any priests that call us with a vocation crisis that have left the priesthood. They always seem to be renewed and re-energized and... And they know they can always call us. Well, that's fantastic. Well, tell us about this these amazing people that work for your organization. What kind of people are they? All, all walks of life, or what? Yeah, I mean, we have we have uh, uh, from college students, young men, college students, and a one uh, a gal here, a college student gal, and and all the way up to guys that are retired. And and we've got a full time staff, uh, although it's small because our budget is very limited. But we have six full-time and then another six part-time that come in and work and, and help and volunteer. There's a couple reasons why we have a small staff. One is we can never seem to raise enough money that we need, like <laughs> the plague of most nonprofits, right? <laughs> um, but the other part of it, too, is that uh, we purposely have to, in a sense, hand-pick individuals because mm-hmm. every bit of our work is confidential, you know. And much of our work is what's called um, under pontifical... Um, secrecy, so yes. to speak. You know, in other words, these cases, some of these cases are reserved to the pontiff alone, and we're privy to them. So we have to be careful who's working with us, and you well, know, and who's who's uh, involved in the cases. Well, Joe, how can people help your organization? Well, first and foremost, you know, prayers. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, if they can pray, and and if they're uh, having health issues or emotional issues or financial issues or anything like that, if they could offer up some of that suffering for us especially for the priests that we care for, that's huge. Um, the other side of it is please make a donation. I mean, large or small, any very little bit helps, and it goes towards the care of the priest. So um, those are the two ways, you know. How do they make a donation? Uh, they can go online to our website, opusbono.org, opusbono.org, or they could uh, mail a, a donation to our P.O. Box uh, instead of our office address. It would be... Opus Bono, and they can just put Opus Bono on the check. They don't have to try to spell the third. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, P.O. Box 663, Oxford, Michigan, 48371. P.O. Box 663, Oxford, Michigan, 48371. And Opus is spelled O-P-U-S, Bono, (laughs) B-O-N-O. And also I see here you have Facebook, you have Twitter, YouTube, that's this. What's this? Cafe Press. Cafe Press. Yeah, that's blog the, that. You know, that's the young college students. Oh, really? <laughs> they come in and they tell us, "Hey, you guys got to get with it. We got to help <laughs> these priests. And this the new, you know, the new era." So they they do that for us. <laughs> <laughs> then a uh, blog talk radio. You got that too. But we have a we have a Thursday noon. Every Thursday at noon, we have a radio show where we interview a priest or a bishop or, or one of us. Uh, specifically about the priesthood and and uh, the beautiful stories of their vocations and how they came to be priests and and the challenges they face and different things going on in the church. 
You know, speaking with you is also very timely, Joe, because recently, I guess you probably heard the report came out. And, and again, the secular world uses this term incorrectly, but they they say that Pope Benedict XVI had, quote-unquote, defrocked over 400 priests around the world, you know, because they were accused or they were, rather they were guilty of, of offenses. Uh, the, word, the right word is not defrocked, but the, the point is, is that just recently, and this started a lot of people, because they were, of course, accusing the Pope that he was lax and this area, whatever, and unbeknownst to them, he was working very hard at trying to remedy and heal the situation. Pope Benedict has been a supporter of ours since before he was Pope. I knew him as Cardinal Ratzinger because he was the head of the CDF, and I can assure anybody in the world that he did everything he could to, yes. you know, help this process and to make sure that, you know, that there were priests out there that were committing grave mortal sins and errors against especially children or others as well. No, he's and you're right about defrocked, and I hate to even use the term laicization because it's a colloquial term, but no priest can be laicized. He's a priest forever, but he can be uh, removed permission right. for public ministry. And that's, and, and there, I mean, it, and the heartbreak, I can tell you in your listening audience, the heartbreak of Benedict XVI, they have to go through this. I mean, it was a huge toll right. on him, and it still is. And now it's on Francis. Well, Joe, I want to thank you, first of all, for the great work that you do, especially as a priest. I want to thank you for that. It's just very, very consoling, inspiring, very encouraging. I want to thank you and all the people you work with. And I want to thank you for being on our program. And once again, that website is... Opusbono.org. Opusbono.org. O-P-U-S-B-O-N-O.org. Thank you, Father, and God bless you. And we'll be praying for you, and thank you for your ministry and your priesthood. It is so much appreciated by all of us. Thank you, Joe, and thank all of you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media.